My Seven Chakras, episode 239. You don't have to be great to get started, but you certainly have to start to become great. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, the show where we dive deep into the ancient world to provide you nuggets of wisdom that will transform your life. So, if this is the first time you're listening, then I want to let you know that you have arrived at the correct podcast, my friend. Action Tribe, as you guys know, I've put together a reading list for you featuring books that have been shared on the show. And many of you have since downloaded the document and are loving it. Uh, Some of the awesome books on this list are The Alchemist by Polo Coelho, Hands of Light by Barbara Brennan, Energy Medicine by Donna Eden, and Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. But every once in a while, I receive an email or a Facebook message from someone who hasn't been able to download or to find the link um, to the reading list. So if that is you, then please note to download the reading list uh, that contains 21 of the most recommended books on the show. All you have to do is type this link onto your browser tab, which is my7chakras.com forward slash reading list. That's my7chakras.com forward slash reading list. Once you go there, just hit the orange button that says yes, download link please and after that there's a box that opens up asking you to share your email address that is it once you do that you will receive a link to download your reading list that's it and if you can't download it then just uh, shoot me an email at aj at my seven chakras.com aj at my seven chakras.com awesome we're all set to begin today's episode uh, today's guest is Corey Poirier so Corey are you ready to inspire yeah absolutely i'm ready to uh i guess i'll say set the virtual world on fire because i, I won't get in trouble saying that uh i'm not gonna the fire but just the virtual world today <laughs> got it so cory poirier is a multiple time tedx pmx and mo monday speaker he's also the host of the top rated conversations with passion radio show he's a founder of the speaking program and he's been featured in multiple television specials a columnist with entrepreneur magazine he has featured in and on cbs ctv nbc abc and is one of the few leaders featured twice on the popular entrepreneur on fire show cody has interviewed over 4,000. 4,000 of the world's top leaders. Action Tribe, if you haven't already noticed, Corey is appearing on our show today for the second time around. The first time he appeared on our show was episode 103. So that's a long way back in the world of podcasting. Uh, so if you want to check out that episode first, then make sure you go to my7chakras.com forward slash 103. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 103. But if you have already listened to that episode then let's uh, begin. Corey, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, um, like I said, I'm super stoked and excited to be here. So uh, thank you for having me. Nice, nice. Uh, so like I said, it's been a, been a while since we've had our uh, last uh, uh, podcast. But let's, as always, begin with some inspiration. What is your favorite inspirational quote and how does that apply in your life today? So the quote that speaks to me right now uh, at, at present time, because it does change, 
is a quote that I want to give credit to two people because I've heard it. I've heard it credited to both, uh, either Zig Ziglar or Les Brown. I feel are one of the two people that credit this quote. But the paraphrase version is: You don't have to be great to get started, but you certainly have to start to become great. Mm-hmm. And in terms of how this applies to me, it's kind of on a two level. One is me personally. It's a, it serves as a reminder that I need to keep taking action. It doesn't always have to be perfect. And sometimes it's okay to take action and then revise or, or adjust accordingly versus just standing still and becoming stale and not doing anything. But then at the same time, as a speaker, I have people on their evaluation forums talk about how I'd love to do what you did or what so-and-so did, but I wasn't born with the same natural talent. And I like to share this quote as a reminder that we all, most of the high achievers I've interviewed, we all start at a point where we're not proficient at something. Mm-hmm. But over time, practicing maybe the 10,000 hour rule, which probably a lot of listeners would have heard of, or just honing your craft. What I've experienced is some people can start very unskilled at something and put in the time. And eventually it looks like they put no work at all into it because they're so skilled at it. And yet they started with almost zero skill. So this quote to me is a reminder that we don't have to be exceptional or talented just to uh, pursue something that speaks to us and we can become great by doing it. So thanks a lot for sharing that really powerful quote. Uh, I am a fan of both Zig Ziglar as well as Les Brown, two of my idols for sure. And uh, definitely I have heard this powerful quote, but it's never enough. You know, you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great action tribe uh, make note of this particular quote because i think it applies in every walk of life if i did not know about this quote or if i did not believe in taking action i would have never started this podcast and got people like Corey on our show you know so even if i listen to my first episode or my first few episodes uh you know it's 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 so different compared to where i have uh you know uh, arrived today and of course there's so much to grow as well from today to you know to one year two years or five years and beyond but the, the bottom line is that you have to get started action tribe no matter what you want to good get get good at or great at uh, just make sure that you take some form of action uh, immediately to gain that momentum and you will you know like they say grow wings along the way but you need to jump so thanks a lot for sharing that with us, Corey. Absolutely. And, you know, I will add as well, probably for some of your listeners, that, you know, for me personally, when I started practicing yoga, when I started meditating, I almost tapped out on meditation because I couldn't slow my mind down. But I learned it's like any other skill and, and any other uh, exercise. You have to actually work at it and build the mm-hmm. muscle. And much the same with yoga. I wasn't very flexible when I started. But yeah. over time, I'm in class and there's a lot of uh, people saying, wow, you're more flexible than almost anybody in the class. Mm-hmm. So I think this applies to every walk of life, not just because we think of business and we think yeah. of taking action on our personal development in terms of you know becoming, say, a better communicator or what have you. But I just want people to know it does apply to almost every area of life. Wonderful. So... We're talking about different types of uh, vocations, different types of practices, whether it's yoga or meditation, as well as public speaking today. Now, you've done a lot of public speaking. You're a professional speaker. You've spoken at TEDx multiple times, and you also have your own public speaking program. So tell me, why is professional public speaking so powerful in 2017 and beyond? To me, the the reason is, is because today, more than ever, it's really about, well, I'll say it this way. There's so many 
skills you learn yeah. when you work toward becoming a speaker that's speaking in front of an audience. It's almost like uh, you know the idea that it's not about becoming a millionaire. It's about who you have to become to become a millionaire. And much the same, I think it's the same with speaking. It's not just about becoming a professional speaker. It's about who you have to become and the skills you learn along the way to actually become a speaker that's influencing audiences. But secondly, if you want to impact people in a positive way, if you want to spread a positive ripple, if you want to get a message heard by a lot of people, there's few vocations that are more effective at doing that than learning how to communicate with an audience. And so I would say first and foremost, if you want to influence people in a positive way, that's a big reason to find out more about speaking and to learn more about the craft of speaking. Uh, it's also because as people, we learn through storytelling. And so as a speaker, you have the ability to share stories from a stage, much like somebody would do around a campfire. So again, you know, it's another way that you can influence people. But bigger than that, perhaps, is it's a great opportunity when you learn how to speak from a stage to inspire people, to educate people, to, to motivate people, to entertain people. You have so many opportunities to essentially help transform someone's life that you wouldn't have had you not learned more about communication. So I just think it's, it's one of those things that will serve you well in all areas of life. You know, becoming a better communicator is going to help in all areas of life. But secondly, it will help you uh, influence and inspire people and change people's lives in a way that's not possible have you not, you know, learned how to influence people through the, the power of communication. Wonderful. So Action Drive... Is there a message that you have deep within you? Is there a group that you want to influence? Maybe people at your office place as well. Or do you secretly dream of getting on stage and getting a standing ovation? To think about who is that person you would have to become in order to really transform people's lives and also become a better communicator. And that's what we're going to talk about today with Corey. So Corey, I'm sure that many of our listeners are curious about your life. How did you get into public speaking? What's the story behind that? <laughs> so it's a very unique story, I will say that. Uh, so the unique part of the story is that I was somebody that was terrified. And this goes back to the, you, you know, you have to start to become great. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say, you know, I'm great. But what I will say is that I definitely didn't start great and didn't have any talent for the stage. And I will say that I was terrified of the idea of standing up in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. What happened was I had a stage play in a fringe festival. Uh, um, so similar to maybe the Edinburgh Fringe Festival or the Edmonton in Canada International Fringe Fest. Those are kind of the two most popular, I think, in North America uh, or even, even in Europe as well. But, but um, I say that because just to give people a point of reference. So I had this play that ran seven days in this festival. I wrote and directed the play. And what happened was one of the actors injured himself. Uh, he uh, sprained his ankle. And so I had to t- carry some of the weight because I was the only other person in the whole theater that actually knew the lines of the play, but I was terrified of being on stage. So enter a problem. So I wrote a part for myself to fill in the blanks for the show uh, where I would be actually with my back to the audience wearing a wig. And and basically there was no way they could know it was me. And I was still covered in sweat. And I remembered back to when I did my first radio interview, even though nobody could see me, I was covered in sweat. And I said, you know what? Something's got to give. I got to figure out how to overcome this fear. And so what happened was, I, uh, it was maybe serendipity, but I heard about this stand-up comedy workshop at a local university, and I ultimately took the workshop for two weeks. I learned how to adjust the mic stand, and, uh, and that a certain comic was the best comic in the world. So the person that took us through this program, all he really told us is how to adjust the mic stand and told us about his favorite comic. 
And when you know that the number one fear in the world about death is public speaking, mm-hmm. uh, and, and stand-up comedy is even a bigger fear, it's just that so few people will ever try it, they don't bother, they just lump it in with speaking. Um, but what happened is, to know that that's that big of a fear, and then to know that you may eventually get on stage, is pretty terrifying. But I felt, if I go to the workshop, at least I'll know what I'm missing if I don't ever get on a stage. And so what happened was, week number three, we heard that we were going to watch other people entertain us and learn about the, state, the world of stand-up comedy, almost like a clinic. Mm-hmm. So we show up at this club, we're waiting around from about 6.30, about 5 to 8, when the show was supposed to start at 8, at about 5 to 8, we look around and there's still no comics yet or entertainers. And so we looked to the guy that put on the workshop and we said, Guy, because his name was actually Guy, uh, <laughs> Guy, where are the entertainers? And some of the listeners can probably see where this is going. But he turned to look at us and said, you're looking at him. You guys are the entertainers today. Mm-hmm. So we found it with notice and zero prep time and zero material that we were going to be the performers. And so I went into the bathroom to try to find an exit window to get out of that place <laughs> and i came back out and this is the interesting part 15 of the people that paid for the workshop took the full workshop and planned to perform stand-up comedy most of whom were actors already eight out of the 15 walked out the front door they literally just left so mm. over 50 percent of the people who actually took the workshop and planned to do stand-up walked out so seven of us stayed i jumped up on the stage uh, to tell the first joke that i'd ever told in my life in front of an audience to dead silence and i jumped into the second joke now the sweat's coming down my face once again you know i mentioned the sweat coming down my face i wasn't really comfortable with this um i jumped into the second joke and this time again more dead silence and i jokingly said i think a tumbleweed rolled by the stage it was pretty much nothing going on um the person that got us into this whole thing called me over to the corner of the stage at this point and he smucked me in the back of the head and where i was the first performer he said you idiot we haven't even turned the mic on <laughs> so i found out that the first performance first time i ever got on stage I jumped in, and because I didn't even ask him to introduce me or I didn't give them time to get the show set up, I just figured I'd jump on stage and conquer the sphere. Um, I basically bombed. They turned the mic on, and I got to tell the same jokes, and I bombed again. Mm. So not only did I bomb once, same jokes bombed. I thought maybe they just hadn't heard me. So what happened was um, I continued my set. I finished it. I had pretty much no laughs. I, I kept going back week after week, bombing over and over again. And that's our word in the comedy stage for basically not getting any laughs. Sure. And then um, what happened was somewhere in about, I, I'm going by memory, but somewhere around the six month mark, I saw Tony Robbins on stage. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that he was doing all of the things I was doing at stand up. And he didn't have a whole lot of the bed. Like he, he got to uh, share entertainment. He got to get people laughing. He also got to inspire and educate, which I was really wasn't doing. Uh, and he didn't have people drinking mostly at his shows. And actually, mm-hmm. So I was like, I like a lot of what he has. And I, and there was, gets rid of some of the stuff I don't like, maybe I should look into this thing as public speaking. And so basically, it's at that point that the light bulb went on and I started making the transition to public speaking. And so to answer the question, how I get into the speaking world, um, that's how I got into it, AJ. I basically transitioned from bombing on a stand-up stage to bombing in the speaking corporate scene uh, until eventually I started getting better and better. Got it, got it. So thanks a lot for sharing that story. It, You know, as you shared the story, I was, you know, in that... Uh, particular center, uh, uh, you know, you know, watching you speak, and I, and I'm, I can totally relate. You know, uh, you know, when you, when somebody goes to goes on stage, especially if it's the first time, uh, uh, in that scenario where you're there to make people laugh, and especially, you know, if if the joke is not that funny, or if the delivery was not right, or if the punchline was not right for whatever reason, and if you don't get that laugh, 
you know things get even worse or you know the, you, there's sweat trickling down your down your face and you get nervous and you you know performance suffers so i want to touch on that particular topic a bit more now is people's fear of public speaking like you mentioned uh, the number two fear is death but according to the survey that people's number one fear is public speaking so why do people have this inborn fear of getting on stage and speaking in public so i i really feel that this is a fear that is much bigger than speaking itself um and i i you know when people say that that great quote the only thing we have to fear is fear itself mm-hmm. um i think it's even bigger than that i think it's bigger than you know the what we'd like to say is okay well they're scared of the rejection they're scared of um the, the failure they're scared of all these things i think what the fear is based on what i've learned in the years since and by the way this is applicable outside of speaking as well is the fear of the unknown mm-hmm. so the unknown could be could mean as a comic you knock it out of the park so you you know that the, the unknown could mean that it could actually be a great set and and the audience loves you but you don't know that even and as a comic by the way you never master the craft to the extent that there's always a chance for you to bomb, even at the highest level. Sure. And so I, that's what keeps pulling comics back. It's that fear of, uh-oh, you know, tonight, I, I, even though I've knocked it out of the park all week at my club shows, this night could be the night I bomb. That, that constant fear, I think, keeps driving them. But for most people, it's the fear that keeps them away. And, and again, it's the unknown of, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And because I don't know what's going to happen, it means I'm not in control. And so I think why people are scared of speaking, it's because you're never in control and you're never guaranteed what's going to happen. Got it. Got it. But that could be an addictive feeling as well, right? You know, that, like you said, keeps bringing people back to the stage because, uh, you know, on one hand, you have the fear of the unknown, but people sometimes thrive in a space of uncertainty because that's attractive, isn't it? Because you don't know what, what unpredictable in, in the sense. <laughs> well, I would say and I'll, I'll definitely validate that for stand-up comics you know the reason i still go back and perform stand-up now not often but on a blue moon yeah. every blue moon i'll go uh, it's because i don't know what's gonna happen so i, I guess i kind of crave that at this point point. and to be honest with speaking um you there's you know again there's an unknown but i will say after you've been speaking for a lot of time you know for you know in my case 15 plus years 99 of the time you know how it's going to play out I mean, there's, there's never guarantee, and you could have somebody in the audience who is trying to take your show down, you know, trying to take your, your, uh, your talk down, or your performance, or whatever name you want to put on it. But for, most, for the most part, it's less of an unknown. In the stand-up world, it's always an unknown. And as a, for instance, these days, I'll only go and perform when it's a, a show that I just can't say no to. So uh, my girlfriend had never seen me perform, and we were in Toronto and Canada. And so I had an opportunity to perform at Second City, uh, which is a very famed club, you know, that's produced some of the greatest Saturday Night Live talent ever. Um, So Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Mike Myers all went through there. Um, So I had a chance to perform both for the school and the public. And I can't say no to that. I I performed at the Improv recently when I was in uh, California. So I'll I'll do those kind of gigs, but I don't do a weekly show anymore. And here's the interesting part. When you haven't done a weekly show in a while, you're not as, uh, let's say, honed as you would be. Your craft's not as honed. And yeah. then on top of that, you're going to Second City and you're going to improv where the stakes are higher and people judge it higher. So there's a big unknown. And you don't really get that as much in the speaking world. So I will agree with you completely, AJ, that there's still, there's still that, for those people that kind of get a rush from that, there's, there's still an excitement in the unknown. Now, I will circle back because it's an important thing to add. For those that are listening that maybe never want to try stand-up and are saying, I'd love to try speaking, but as, as you know, you said, Corey, and as you said, AJ, that this is a big fear for most people. Well, 
here's what I'll add in. If you want to reduce that fear of the unknown, practice, practice, and practice, and know your talk. Because you're going to reduce that unknown the more you know the content, the extent of your talk, and the more you plan for the what-ifs that could go wrong. Love that. And I also love the fact that you mentioned, you spoke about the fear of the unknown. Uh, but very often we tend to look at just the negative side of the unknown, right? We think about what if, uh, you know, my speech bombs, what if people don't like me, what if people don't like my message, what if people don't laugh? But, you know, just because it's unknown, it doesn't have to be negative. So Action Tribe, just think about what if people like your speech you know what if you're absolutely confident on stage what if you get a standing ovation so just visualizing the positive uh, can help you get the best out of the unknown and also like Corey mentioned practice makes perfect the more you can reduce the unknowns from uh, the situation if you know your speech in and out that's going to really improve the situation now Corey speaking about a speech that gets the best of it, you know, a speech that gets a standing ovation. What are some traits of a speech that receives that sort of accolade? What factors makes the audience really love your speech? So there's a lot of variables and there's even a lot of different approaches a person can take okay. to their talk. But I'll give you some of the, the main common elements. So first of all, one of the things that really pulls people in, I kind of mentioned it in passing, is storytelling. So mm. oh, the more masterful you are as a storyteller the better chance the audience is going to emotionally connect with you. They're going to come along for the ride. I mean, so that's a big part is, is become a masterful storyteller. Uh, so storytelling is one component I've noticed in almost all of the top speeches. Uh, another element is, and this is this comes from the stand-up world, but speakers have taken it over and taken ownership mm -hmm. of this as well, is if you're delivering a talk, you should try to keep your points. So when I say your points, I mean your takeaways during the talk to three or less. And the idea there is that people won't remember 45 things. A lot of the, the top motivational speakers back in the 50s and 60s, they would just rhyme through, like even Zig Ziglar, who I'm a massive fan of, the late Zig Ziglar. But mm. he would go through a lot during a short talk. But the difference is, back then, we didn't have all the distractions we had today. Right. And so it worked back then. But today, people are already thinking about, I wonder if my phone's ringing. I wonder if I have to deal with something later today. I'm going to pick up groceries soon, don't I? I got to pick up the kids at this time. And so, oh, first of all, brevity is important. But if you keep it to three points, and you, and by the way, another element is summarizing before and after. Uh, there's a great quote that says, tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and tell them what you told them. Uh, not all speakers agree with that, but I, I do it. And so that means basically you say, okay, here's what I'm going to cover today. And then you actually cover it. And then at the end you say, here's what we covered. Mm -hmm. And the benefit of that, especially in the front end, is if you say, we're going to cover these three things. Then what it tells them in their mind, okay, I only have to remember three things. And sure. our minds work on retaining three things well. So that'll give people that ease of, okay, I can listen to this because it's only going to be three things. So that's the second thing. Um, storytelling, uh, keep things in threes, uh, whether that's the story itself, keep it in three small points within the story or three points of your overall talk. Another thing that, um, and this is something I learned by watching Steve Jobs when I was trying to figure out why is Steve Jobs crushing it and where yeah. am I falling to pieces early on in my career and here's the difference what Steve Jobs is doing versus me I had PowerPoints with a thousand bullets you know and, and so enter whatever number you want here 12 bullet points on one screen and so people were still trying to write down the bullet points while I was already on to the next one so what happened is uh, instead of me becoming the presentation my slides became the presentation so I still right. use slides I still believe but I think you have to use them well so whether you're using keynote or PowerPoint 
here's the difference. What Steve Jobs I saw was doing, and I've changed since that time, and it's changed everything for me, is I went to visuals. So on my, let's say, for example, we've done an interview, and I'm sharing a point from your show, then maybe I, I have a picture of the, uh, the show logo. That's the only thing that'll be on my slide. And then I'm going to tell a story about something you mentioned on the interview that blew my mind. That's my whole slide versus where before I would have had like, this is why it blew my mind. This is the three things I took from it. This is the five things that he said during the interview. <laughs> now I basically, if I'm talking about Bruce Lee, I'm going to have a picture of Bruce Lee on the slide and that is it. So it's visuals now. And the idea there is I become the presentation and the visual simply supports it so that that way when they're, you know, when they think of Bruce Lee down the road, they'll remember that story that Corey told. So mm -hmm. that's another element is essentially having um, visuals that move the story forward rather than PowerPoints that slow the story up and confuse whether I'm the story or, or the PowerPoint is. So that's another one. Um, another big one as well is your pauses, your delays, how you, um, you know, your tones, your vocal tones. Uh, so a person doesn't, if they do the other things I just mentioned right, they don't have to get that far into it this early on. If you're just starting, don't get too focused on these things. But nice pauses, knowing when to pause after a major point, and raising your voice and lowering your voice at certain times so that people don't get bored or, or see your voice as monotone and start falling asleep. Those are other elements that mm. work really well. Um, one last one I'll give you, and, and AJ, I could go, you know, I could, of course, of course. give up other elements, but <laughs> another one that's really powerful, and again, this is one not to get too caught up in because it won't destroy your talk, but it certainly is li the little nuances that make it all the better, is if you're about to tell a story, let's say, don't say, hey, I'm going to tell you a story. Right. If you're, just start telling the story. If you're going to say, um, uh, you know, if you, if you for example, um, aren't sure if the story's going to work, don't say, you know, I hope you guys enjoy the story. I just really thought of it an hour ago, and I'm not sure if it's that funny. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if it's that powerful. Don't tell them that. So what I'm getting at here is don't show behind the curtain. The, mm -hmm. the audience wants like they're still within the presentation or the show or the performance or the talk. And the more you start talking about what you're talking about, if you know what I mean, instead of just telling the story, if you start saying, hey, hey, hope you love this story, then you've taken them out of the magical moment they were just in versus when if you just told them the story. Got it, got it. So these are some really, really amazing points. Action Tribe, I hope you were taking note in case you weren't. I'm just going to quickly uh, share the main points of what Corey said. One is storytelling. As soon as you hear a story, your mind automatically looks for popcorn. We all love stories. And the more emotionally engaged the audience is, the better your speech is going to be. Keep your points to three or less. Less is better rather than having 67, 68 points that you're going to share during the speech. Summarize before and after. I love that point, Corey. Here's what I'm going to cover. You actually cover it. And then you say, this is what we've covered today. And slides, just like Steve Jobs, keep it simple. Keep it minimal. Uh, and of course, you have some more complex uh, tactics and strategies as well, like vocal variety, pauses, and vocal inflection. But if you keep to the main points, you're going to get uh, become a better speaker. So thanks a lot for sharing that uh, with us. Now, Corey, I want to talk about TEDx uh, a bit over here because you've given multiple TEDx speeches. So, uh, and that is something on my list as well to some uh, someday give a TEDx speech. But is there a difference between you know delivering a TEDx speech and a regular speech? And if yes, what, what are the differences? Absolutely, there there is mainly because of the structure of TEDx talks and TED okay. talks based on the way the organization has set them out. So there's certain elements that you don't really need to know unless you're auditioning for a TEDx talk or yeah. you're, you're 
applying. So for example, uh, just to give you an example, so that you know, you as a listener will know what I'm getting at, is for instance, you're not allowed to wear, most TEDx talks will say you're not allowed to wear brand clothing, even if, mm. even if there's, the tag is on the inside and the back. So you're not allowed to wear, you're not supposed to. I mean, obviously, they don't go as far as to say, let me see your tag. Sure. Um, but you know, they, they basically say you're not allowed to have a branded logo. You're not supposed to mention certain, you're not supposed to promote your own company or mention, you know, here's how you can check me out on my website. So in your normal talk, in your, in your talk for a corporate client, you might say, you know, I have a lot of that stuff on my website, which is, I still would uh-huh. argue with that you really shouldn't do that because, again, it takes them out of the moment and it almost seems like you're pitching. But yeah. some people run a public seminar where their whole goal is to pitch from the stage. So what I will say is a big difference is in a TEDx talk, you're not supposed to pitch, you're not supposed to brand, you're not supposed to sell, you're not supposed to wear branded materials. Um, so they really want to keep it focused around a certain, let's say, almost uh, prestige level, you know, a certain mm-hmm. um, minimal level of here's what we offer as a, a TEDx uh, caliber event. And so that's one thing. A second thing is you need to be really uh, well-versed and honed in delivering, as we mentioned about the sort of the, the I'm going to call it the, the small elements and, and focused on delivering uh, brevity versus, you know, going into a story that could last eight minutes. Because yeah. if you only had 15 minutes for your TEDx talk, unless the story is the, the whole talk, you don't obviously want to spend almost your whole talk and the story and then have no time for anything else. So I think another big thing is a lot of people don't realize how short 18 minutes is uh-huh. if you're using it wrong. But here's the interesting part. People don't also realize how much you can do in 18 minutes if you do it right. So another big difference is TEDx talks by nature are shorter than if you're going to give a keynote or a, or a workshop talk. And so I would say get used to understanding how to deliver in a shorter amount of time, which basically, you know, our normal world today anyway is like that because when you put out a YouTube video, uh, most people would agree that for the most part, if you want to keep people with your YouTube video, you got to make it shorter than you used to. Yeah. So think of a TEDx talk like you would when you're online and social media or you're on YouTube. You have to keep it shorter than you would probably have the opportunity to do if you're doing a corporate talk where, where the audience is told they have to be there regardless. So that's a big one. Uh, know that uh, the, the video, because it's mostly filmed, of course, uh, the video... Typically speaking, most TEDx conferences won't do any editing. So what you see is what you get. So you better be very well rehearsed and practiced because whatever you deliver, you're not going to get a takeover or do-over. So Mm. that would be another difference. Um, I would say also another big difference is because you have a short amount of time, you're going to want to basically go through your talk over and over again and trim out the stuff that doesn't hit in a powerful way or doesn't move the story forward in a powerful way because you don't have that extra luxury that you would in a talk, again, where people are told they have to be there and you have more time to deliver. So those are, you know, top of mind. Those are some of the big differences is that it's really you have to deliver in a more powerful way and in a shorter capacity. And you have to be really, really, really well rehearsed if you want a TEDx talk that's going to resonate with people. And I also will say because it's more to the general population uh, you're not going to be doing as much of a niche talk, probably. You can, sure. but what I mean is that uh, it's not a specific audience, per se. So the other thing you want to do is even if you do a talk or deliver a talk at a TEDx event that's on a specific subject that maybe only you know, you know maybe it's like mm-hmm. artificial intelligence or something, you still need to figure out a way to deliver it in such a universal way that the average viewer can go, wow, I learned a lot from this. 
even though I don't know anything about artificial intelligence. So that would be my takeaways in the difference. Got it. So I love the fact that you mentioned that the speaker has to be rehearsed and prepared. Uh, so I was wondering if you could take us behind the scenes of a professional speaker like yourself or maybe one of your students. Is there a routine that you normally go through in prepa- preparation for a speech? So it, it definitely varies depending on the learning style of the person. And I would even add it depends on, on their experience level and comfort level. So why I say that is uh, for somebody like me, for instance, my preparation would be totally different today than it would have been my first year. And part of the reason is because uh, of those years in stand-up and, and even improv, you know, taking improv classes, I'm more comfortable for me to have what we'll call the foundation of my talk in place and then basically wing it from there. So I just delivered two talks to a real estate group in two different cities, but it was actually the same company. And two people i think were at both talks the rest were all of course a whole unique audience so the two people would be the co-owners who traveled to both talks if they were to tell you about my talk they would say there were some differences between the two but everybody in the audience would feel like it's the same talk that i'm going to deliver to both audiences and Mm -hmm. the difference is i have the base material so let's give an example let's say i were talking about okay so i went to Jimi hendrix's grave site a few years ago and while we were there, some guy drives up in a red car. He jumps out of his car. He cleans out all the litter around Hendrix's gravesite, jumps back in his car and drives off. And so I've shared that story about the idea of creating an invisible impact and how Hendrix has been dead 45 years, and yet he's impacted that person in such a way that 45 years later, this guy wants to clean Hendrix's gravesite. And that yet that guy, people seeing it, he's inspiring them by realizing you can do a small action and have a big result. So as so I set the tone for that because I could deliver that story at both places that like Wednesday and Thursday of this week, actually the days I deliver the talks. Um, I could deliver that story on the Wednesday and maybe I have less time. So I delivered just the way I just did you there, which is what, like probably 20 seconds. Um, and I can actually deliver it another time where maybe um, there's, I have more time. They say, okay, this talk is 90 minutes, even though the other group of ours was only 60. Well, I might go further into that talk and have three points from that story of the Hendrix's gravesite. So, but the catch is I still prepare that story. And so first of all, what I would say is for me personally, what I love about story is if you know your story really well, then you can ad lib comfortably. And not only that, you can, you can comfortably say, okay, I have a picture of the Hendrix's gravesite. I know the story. I know how I've told it, you know, to people around, you know, friends and what have you. So I know how to tell that story. It's a lot easier to remember a story than it is to remember the facts and figures. So first of all, for me, when I prepare, I want to insert stories because they're easier to remember. Secondly, I know that I'm okay as long as I know what the base story is. I can add lib from there. Um, so what I'm preparing actually is I'm preparing the meat, if you will, the meat mm-hmm. of the content, yep. and then the fries and gravy, if you want a, a weird metaphor. That's the stuff that is the stuff where I can go off, off script a little bit. So that's me now today. Now, if I, and, and so, by the way, the other thing I can do, which is great about stories, is if I know how much time I have, and here's a little tip, somebody that's just starting and doesn't know how to keep track of their time, if you practice it enough to know you're within a certain range, then what I suggest you do, something like this. You can take uh, your one of your Apple watches that we have today and put it on vibrate. You can put your phone on vibrate and put it in your pocket. And what you want to do is you want to set it to start vibrating, not so anybody can hear it, but so that you know what's happening, about 10 minutes before you're supposed to be done. And that way you can shorten your story or start to wind down. So that's a tip for keeping on time. In terms of the secondary part is how does somebody practice that's new work? Because I have this with my students a lot. And I remember when I was back doing it, is they'll often write out the entire script. Yep. And then they'll actually, almost like you picture cue cards, 
uh, they'll write a script or cue cards, and they'll practice based on that. And then what I usually get them to do is once they know it quite well, then I want them to start trimming up stuff to the meter. Because they're practicing it word for word, which is going to look very um, structured and, and, and too rigid when you're in front of an audience. But if they can get to know their whole, let's say, their speech in, let's say, it's 45 minutes. But let's say they practice it, it's like probably going to be 55 minutes, even though they figure it's 45, because you're going to pause as you're going to have the audience say you're asking a question, it's engaged. So what I would say is I'll tell them then, okay, what we want to do now is I want you to go through that script that you now know really well. Mm -hmm. I want you to figure out what parts you can take out and have the story still make complete sense. And what people will find is you could have an hour-long talk, and once you start trimming out the facts, you can probably get down to 40 minutes or 30 minutes easily just by taking out the parts where you're repeating yourself twice or adding extra stuff in. And then what happens is since you knew the bigger part really well, it gets a lot easier to know the shorter part well. And my experience is you're going to be a lot more comfortable on stage if you have a 35-minute talk for a 45-minute time slot than you are if you have a 45-minute talk for a 45-minute time slot because you're going to be worried the whole time if you're rated for the minute when you practice, you're going to be worried you're going to go over. If you have 35 minutes, it's a lot more comfortable to finish five minutes early. And everybody mm -hmm. does, everybody's going to be if you finish five minutes early versus if you go right to the minute or go over. So what I would say is it depends on what stage you're at. If you're very comfortable on stage, get the base of your stories or whatever your, talk, uh, your topics and points are down. And then you can add them a little bit. So yeah, so you're going to be a lot more, more comfortable if you practice this stuff, you know, in front of a person, uh, in front of the mirror, uh, and have your laptop or whatever you're using as your or your your cue cards in front of you, and basically just talk it out. You know, so talk it actually out. Record it, by the way, so you can hear how it sounds talked out. So you make sure you're talking it out naturally. And then after you practice it numerous times, there's going to be a point where you feel okay. I finally got this. So. When you're just starting, I recommend you practice it more than you think you need to. And after you've been doing it a while, you'll find you can practice a little less than you think you need to. Got it. Thanks a lot for sharing that with us. Uh, now, our listeners love to listen to stories, as you might have, uh, as, as you know. And I know that you've trained many people in public speaking. But is there one story that sort of stands out? Somebody who's probably nervous and scared of public speaking in the beginning, but somebody who experienced a turnaround after going through the process. Well, I can tell you uh, an interesting and to me kind of a, a funny story about it, it's it's kind of loosely around the idea of speaking and it ties back into what I mentioned about my world of stand-up comedy and this is maybe more of a motivational story but I can also tell you it was a transformation as well and what it relates to is I saw a, uh, a girl show up for one of our nights of stand-up uh, we had a comedy troupe and she asked for time on the stage and she got some time and I think she had probably five minutes she mm. prepared all week for the five minutes of stand-up time she got up on the stage she delivered her first joke uh, to dead silence much like mine, mm -hmm. and then she froze, stared at us for about 45 seconds, and by the way, 45 seconds in stand-up time is about 17 hours in normal time. <laughs> it feels like forever. And then she basically ran out the door of the club, and by the way, we were upstairs, so she had to run all the way through the club, run down the stairs, and then we awkwardly heard the door slam and close while everybody looked at this empty stage, and even her friends that were there with her were still sitting there, and her coat was still there. And yeah. she, she didn't come back that night, so they must have taken her coat with her, and she probably went to the car... And didn't come back in. And then two weeks later, she shows back up again. Blew her mind, because I never thought anybody would go through all that and show up again. And she showed up again, and she didn't talk hardly to anybody. She didn't try to brag about how she was going to do great this, this night. She didn't talk about what she did that night. Uh, but she went back up on stage that night, and she stayed up the whole time. She didn't get a lot of laughs, but for the people that were there that saw what happened, 
before. They actually gave her a standing ovation. So the people that actually saw her know, knew what she went through before and that she still came back because we had a lot of regulars that came to the show. And then the cool part about the story is she started coming back regularly and became a regular comic who was actually getting laughs. So to me, even though that's not like a extended transformation of somebody yeah. that I've worked that's kind of built it over time, that's an example of somebody who faced the worst of your fears and adjusted. And by the way, she came back and she learned what she did wrong um, in terms of, you know, she didn't leave obviously a 45 minute pause anymore. Um, she, she basically told her, she said, what she also did, she told me that she visualized what the worst that could happen was because she'd already went through it. And when she got to the car that night or wherever she went, she told me she knew that once she was done on the stage, she survived. The fact that she didn't die, even though she went through the worst of experiences you could have on a standup stage, told her that she could do this. And so there was a big lesson there, right? Coming back, um, realizing, okay, well, the worst that can happen is not the worst thing that could ever happen, if that makes sense. And so she came back, uh, she had her material more ready, she visualized the fact that she had survived on stage, even in the worst of experiences, and she forced herself to stay up on stage, she didn't leave those long, long pauses anymore that she left that night, and, and she started slowly but surely transforming. Another thing she did is she watched other comics, she started taking notes, she studied, she asked for advice. She was open to them saying, here's what you could do differently. And lo and, you know, short and, short and long of it is, I watched her slowly tra transform into a comic who was comfortable on the stage. So to me, that's a transformation because as a mm -hmm. comic, in my opinion, you're still a speaker at heart. And this is somebody who I watched do that. And, and the same elements apply when I'm coaching somebody from never doing a talk to delivering a talk to then saying, I love this. I'm mm -hmm. comfortable. And really it's, are, are you learning from what you did? Are you taking notes? Uh, are you watching other speakers and learning from them? Are you willing to get feedback from people and take honest feedback? Are you willing to adjust when you hear the feedback? Did you record yourself and say, what did I do wrong and right? And what could I improve next time? I mean, these are some of the things that I've watched people that were not comfortable speaking do and become comfortable. Uh, I already told you the other one, which is, and this has been a huge transformation, people that were terrified, but we helped them get the nerve up to do it. One of the biggest things is getting to know their subject Delivering in a way that they're comfortable with, like I said, storytelling, things that, that they know they can actually remember and say on stage a lot easier than trying to remember statistics or facts or figures or bullets. So that's, you know, those are some of the elements that people need to do. They need to get rid of that fear of the unknown and how to do that is to prepare and to learn from other people, to learn from what you did wrong and to get back on the horse and sort of do it again. But I can't promise if you're terrified of the stage, it'll be easy. You heard my first experience, uh, you know, sharing material without the mic turned on and bombing horribly. What I can tell you is if you're going to speak in front of an audience, like a corporate audience or an association, it'll probably be much easier than mine or mm -hmm. that girls that, that ran off the stage. And here's the good news. We both survived and we found our passion from that. And it basically proved every aspect of our life. So the reward is way bigger. So do you action tribe? Is there a particular craft or a particular project that you have started in the past but experienced some level of uh, disappointment or failure because it didn't work out quite the way you had imagined and then you gave up? Is there something like that? Because if there is, then remember there is no harm in going back once again and taking action and trying. Like the story that we heard right now, you know, showing up once again is half the battle uh, complete you know so you just have to show up once again and be open to feedback and ask questions and work your way towards your transformation and aj i'll add one more thing too if it's okay yeah i uh another thing because i don't want to leave people you know thinking that it's as simple as that in terms of just 
you know, push yourself to get on the stage. Here's what I will say, um, because there's only so much time ever in an interview like this. If somebody wants to keep the, keep sort of this alive and, and see what I did and what I recommend people do in terms of stepping outside their comfort zone, because that's really what we're talking about here. My latest or my last TEDx talk, that's the whole subject of it, basically crushing your fears. And so in that TEDx talk, I go through the steps that I recommend people take if they want to expand their comfort zone. And I even use the example of stand-up comedy. Um, and so an example would be, uh, first of all, take baby steps rather than big steps. Reward yourself for the baby steps. You know, one of the baby steps could be going to watch other comics. It could be uh, talking to other comics and asking about their experience. It could be going to a Toastmasters club and learning about speaking before you ever get get on a stage, going to a workshop in comedy. And you can take all these baby steps before you ever jump on a stage or ever get in, out and speak in public. So what I will say is, you know, my TEDx talk, we talked about them. They're very short. It's 18 minutes. Go check that out. And, uh, and it'll tell you what I'd recommend that somebody does if speaking is the one that they're trying to conquer. Um, you know, you can certainly reach out to me, but that's where I'd recommend you go because that's, I think, gives you the groundwork of how I take people through this process of expanding your comfort zone, even if it is getting on a stage. So, Corey, thank you so much for sharing the stories that you shared today. Based on what we've spoken about today, what is that one action step that you'd like to recommend for our listeners? I really believe it is Deciding what action you want to take, that's where it all starts. So what is your goal? Like I said, it might be to get on a stand-up stage. Maybe you're listening and, and you want to learn to play guitar. Maybe you want to become a photographer. Maybe you want to be a better parent. Whatever it is, first of all, figure out what action you want to take, uh, You know what that is. And then secondly, I would say figure out the baby steps rather than trying to figure out the big step. Figure out the baby steps you can take. Take one of those baby steps, even the easiest one possible, and then give yourself a reward because that'll be the motivator that'll keep you going. So I think you need to know what action it is and then you need to figure out a way to take a small step toward that action. So Action Drive, to access the show notes for today's episode, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 239. That's our website, my7chakras.com forward slash 239. Action Tribe, if you are still with us, listening with passion, it means that you are a true and true action taker and I salute you for that. Now as we come towards the end of today's amazing session with Corey, I want to take a few minutes to talk about happiness. We all want to find happiness, but sometimes the feeling seems beyond our reach. And a few years back, I realized that it all comes down to focus. If you focus just on yourself, that is, what will happen if you take action? How will this benefit you? What will people think of you after you start your project? Or how will you be seen as a result of doing this new project? If you, uh, you know, if all these questions are focusing just on you, and when the spotlight is on you, it's sort of hard to grow. It's hard to perform and it's hard to really be in the flow of things. That's what we're trying to achieve here, right? Is to be uh, at your productive best and master new skills. But on the other hand, if you shift your focus to the outside and you try to find out who you can positively impact through your work, um, that's when things can change because the spotlight is no longer on you. It's on those who you serve or those who you're speaking to, uh, your audience. Uh, so that, can, that, that shift uh, in perspective can help you in mastering new skills or in trying new things out or finding better ways on how you can serve your audience and very soon you'll find that you are making progress the idea can be applied in many activities including uh, today's topic which is public speaking the key here is to shift the spotlight from you to those who you serve because someone uh, wise once said the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others 
and with that we have arrived at the last round for today which is called uh, the wisdom round so are you ready for the last round Corey? yeah i'm as i'm as ready as i've ever been great so uh, Corey, uh, what is the best advice that someone has ever given you and maybe you can share something different or the same compared to what you shared last time, which has been a while. So perhaps the best advice that I was ever given was probably advice that I got from my grandfather about the importance of essentially doing what you're going to do with passion. Like basically mm-hmm. how he worded it was a lot different. It wasn't as sort of polished or sexy, but he essentially said, um, if you're going to do something anyway, if you got to be there to do it anyway why not do it to the best of your ability and to me it it spoke to me because at the time I was very young and after that point I went through some jobs that I wouldn't have normally chosen let's say for myself but I always remembered that his whole thing about if you're going to do it and you have to be there anyway why do you want to just you know fake your way through it or or basically give only 20 percent you see that so often his whole thing was be passionate and bring the passion and sunshine yourself even if the job doesn't bring it for you and do your best and give your best. And that has served me well over the years. And what's happened is that I've delivered, I think, passion in everything I've done, even if it wasn't what I wanted to be doing at the time. Got it. So name one personal habit that keeps you going these days. Ooh, that's, it, 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 I would say, it's it, you know, when it say keeps me going, that, that's the part that makes this a, probably will sound like a strange one. But the power of no, let's call it that. Uh, or we can call it the power of focus or the power of um, avoiding distractions or going all in. Whatever term you want to put on that, it keeps me going because it reminds me I don't have to do everything. And when I thought I had to do everything, I had to say yes to everything and then figure out how to do it. It was hard to keep going because you always think, okay, when am, when am I going to hit the brick wall? When am I going to burn out? And once I figured out you don't have to say yes to everything, that just that magic understanding helps me keep going because it reminds me that I can take on as as much as I need to, but not too much. And this whole no idea, this notion of saying no, I've learned after interviewing so many high achievers that one of the things they have in common is they say no to all the things they don't want to do so they can say yes to the few things they do want to do. So Corey, how do you start your morning these days? Do you have like a morning routine going on? I, you know, here's the thing. So I, I do, but I've been dipping off a little bit and and literally this week i've been saying i got to get back to it because i shared during talks and i think it's so powerful uh, but it's a thing i learned uh, during an interview with jack canfield so the chicken soup for the soul creator and so jack uh, has this thing he called his hour of power and here's the short version essentially every day what he does and i started doing and then i dropped off a little bit and i got to get back to it is basically given the first hour of yourself and during that hour what he does and i you know i sort of did a similar thing because I understood why what he did was powerful is basically divide up the time of that hour and how I did it was I give 20 minutes myself to learn so 20 minutes to feed my mind 20 minutes exercise or some form of exercise even just going for a walk and then 20 minutes of meditating or feeding your mind or sorry your spirit rather Um, so why I believe this is so powerful is because basically you're feeding your mind body and your spirit in the first hour of the day before most people even get up and start their day. So that's a ritual I did really well. It was a game changer and I need to get back to it. Love that. So name one book that you'd like to share and recommend with our listeners today. So I'll tell you the normally uh, answer. I normally would answer How to Win Friends and Influence People because it's the first book I ever read in my life at 27. It changed everything. But at the same time, since I shared that so much, I want to give your audience something fresh. 
Uh, so I would say probably the book on the front of my mind right now is The One Thing. And this book is focused on the importance of us basically doing the one thing that's going to make the difference and move the needle rather than trying to do 20 things. So basically figuring out what is it that's going to make the biggest impact on my life and whether you're time blocking and focusing that way or whether you say I'm going to put all my efforts into that thing, focus on that one thing at one time rather than trying to do multiple things, which everybody seems to be doing now is multitasking. Uh, get back to single tasking. That's what the message of the book is. And it really backs up the importance of focusing on the one thing that could change everything. And so that's the book I'd recommend is The One Thing. Well, thanks a lot for sharing. Action Tribe, here's a way that you can listen to this book, The One Thing, for free. Uh, in case you don't know, Audible is a way to listen to your book instead of buying a book and reading it. And since you lo love listening to podcasts, you can actually, you know, uh, listen to the book on your way to work, in transit, outdoors, uh, through your headphones, uh, you know, uh, choose what you may. But Audible is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can get to check out this new service. And in case you don't know already, Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your various devices iphone android or kindle uh, and the books include bestsellers like the chakra system by anadia judith autobiography of a yogi by paramahansa yogananda and a new earth by eckhart tolle and i'm pretty much sure that this book the one thing will be available as well but to download your free audiobook today go to my 7 forward slash free book once again that's my 7 forward slash free book to start listening to this recommended book right away so, Corey, thank you so much for joining us and uh, connecting with me and sharing your stories. It's so uh, great to uh, chat with you today. Uh, before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and tell us the best way we can find you. So, uh, you know, there, uh, if I can, uh, AJ, I'll tell you two quick things for, for a specific reason. One's personally, one's professionally. Um, the personally, I will say, is we have a, my girlfriend and I, we're, we're both in our 40s. Uh, so we just actually had our first child. Uh, he was three months old two days ago, and so I'm obviously grateful that we were able to bring that miracle into our lives. On the professional side, I, uh, I'm basically getting ready. I'm literally, uh, I guess, 10 days away-ish from releasing my latest book. Uh, it's called The Book of Why and How, and so I'm obviously very grateful to be in a situation where I can bring a book like that to the market and, and hopefully transform lives, and it kind of ties back, back in what we were talking about throughout the day. How do you expand your comfort zone? How do you find your why? How do you, uh, the timeless secrets I've learned after all these thousands of interviews, the book kind of contains all of that. Uh, so I'm very grateful to actually be in a situation where I'm able to bring this book to the market in less than two weeks. Awesome. So firstly, congrats on the newborn. I'm sure it's great, exciting time at your household. So thanks a lot for, first of all, making this interview. You know, I can imagine a lot of people saying no to interviews at this time, but congrats on the newborn. I'm sure it's going to be a great year ahead, uh, as well as a wonderful 2018. Uh, and of course, uh, Action Tribe, we've, uh, you know, heard about speeches today. We heard about public speaking. We heard about going beyond your comfort zone. But if you know your why then you can survive no matter what, how it is, right? So if you know your why, you're going to blast through all your fears, whether it's public speaking or maybe a new skill. So it's really important to, if you haven't already figured out your why, and Corey over here is going to not only show you how, uh, you know, uh, what your why is, but also how to figure out 
what your why is. So it's it's it, the book is going to be really exciting. Comes out in two weeks. So Corey, how do they how do they get the book? Is it available on Amazon and all these other platforms? So it's it, yeah. Well, well, here's here's the unique approach we're taking. So the very first month. So people listening to this. Um, during the first month, and you'll know when you go to the website which month you're listening to. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the book release, but the very first month we're releasing through Kickstarter, so we're taking a crowdfunding type approach, and then then we'll be moving into Amazon, Barnes and Noble, chapters, and your traditional approach mm-hmm. after that. But uh, for the first month, we're going with Kickstarter, and our goal is to try to do a really nice Kickstarter campaign where we're supporting each other, and we can offer rewards that we wouldn't be able to offer through your traditional publishers and Amazon and things like that. So uh, if you're listening to it, uh, to it and you go to thebookofwhy.com and you see the Kickstarter uh, campaign there, then you'll know you're listening to it during the Kickstarter campaign. If you go after that, that the page will be changed, and then you'll be able to click the links where you can buy through Amazon and all the other various uh, platforms. Nice. So thebookofwhy.com, we'll have the link up in the show notes as well. Uh, so, Corey, thank you so much for coming on our show once again, talking to us about the power of public speaking and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Oh, thank you so much, AJ. It's been an absolute pleasure like it was last time and like I knew it would be. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today.